Hello and welcome to The Bunker with me, Naomi Smith. As we enter the darkest months of the new year, it's useful to have something to binge listen to as we lie around scoffing the last of the quality street and wondering when, if ever, it will be safe to socialise again. And so if you've not done so already, then I can't recommend enough binging on all seven episodes of the podcast show Sweet Bobby from Tortoise Media, which tracks the most incredible story of a decade-long catfishing exercise. For those of you who don't know what catfishing is, it's when someone creates a fake online persona to deceive a victim, often but not always via dating sites or other social networking platforms. Sweet Bobby follows the story of Kirat, a single woman in her early 30s, successful broadcaster and very supportive friend, who finds herself falling for a man called Bobby, a friend of a friend who begins to woo her online. For several years, it remains an online platonic friendship, but eventually romance blossoms and Kirat finds herself falling in love until finally she discovers the truth about who Bobby really is. The series raises questions not just about poor old Kirat's lost decade and of everything she has been robbed, but serious public interest questions too. Notably, whether our existing online harms laws are sufficient. Joining me to discuss this chart-topping show is its host and investigative journalist, Alexi Mostras. Welcome, Alexi. Hi, Naomi. Thanks for having me. I'm more excited about this interview than I have been about almost any other uh, interview (laughs) I've done for this podcast. So um, uh, let's get stuck in. How did you come across the story? Why did you decide to take it on? And did you ever imagine it would be so popular? I came across this story kind of in a roundabout way. I was I was having lunch with with a source who who I'd known for years. He works in the legal profession, and he was actually helping me out on another story we were working on at the time about online porn. And right at the end of the lunch, he kind of almost as an afterthought gets this bunch of papers out of his out of his briefcase and hands it to me and says, "You've got to have a look at this, by the way." And I didn't read it at the time, and I I went home and I remember that night reading through it. And it was a witness statement uh, that was written by this woman called Kira Assi. And it was about 160 pages. And it wow. read like a kind of novel that probably would have been rejected by an agent because it was too unbelievable. And wow. I just thought, if this is anywhere near a kind of a real situation, then then we've got to kind of explore it. We've got to, we've got to do it. And then the next step was arranging a meeting with Kira and and that that took place with a kind of couple of intermediaries at, at, at a restaurant that lasted for eight eight hours, I think. Certainly the long, longest meeting that I've ever had. And at the end of the meeting, I went back and told my editors, we, we can't do this in one episode. We've got to do this as a series. Incredible. Um, now, listeners, the rest of this discussion does contain some spoilers, but nothing that hasn't been widely reported in the press already. But if you'd rather not know, then stop listening right now and then come back post-binge because I know you're just not going to be able to resist this interview and hearing what Alexi's got to say. So the story starts with a guy called JJ, uh, an ex-boyfriend of Kirat's cousin Simran. And he contacts Kirat asking for advice about how to win Simran back. Kirat responds a few times and then some months later she hears that JJ has died suddenly you know this young man has 
has died very sadly and very suddenly. And his brother, Bobby, then starts to message Kirat in his grief, thanking her for being so kind to his late brother. And so begins this decade-long catfish until one day Kirat learns the truth, uh, which is, and here's the big spoiler, that her cousin Simran was pretending to be Bobby and presumably JJ the entire time. So, Alexi, I know you've done a, a lot of interviews about the series because it has just been so successful and is so compelling. And I guess the two key questions listeners to the show have broadly is, you know, what would have driven Simran to do this and how did Kirat not clock that she was being had sooner? So if we just try and unpick things a bit. Sure. My first question for you is, does the real Bobby because he is also a real person as well as yeah. the, the the fake one, have a little brother called JJ. Did Simran actually date him? And is he alive and well? Well, it's actually really interesting that you wanted to start with, with JJ, because I think he's quite symptomatic of the whole scam, in the sense that it's an amalgamation of some true facts and some completely made up facts. So right. Bobby, the real Bobby, does have a real younger brother called JJ. He's not dead. He's alive and well. Hurrah. And at some point, Simran and JJ did see each other. Uh, so all of that is true. But at the time when JJ, fake JJ, contacted Kirat for the first time in 2009, asking for advice about how to get Simran back, that was a lie on a number of levels. Firstly, JJ wasn't really JJ in that context, it was Simran. But also JJ wasn't going out with Sim- Simran at that point. That was all in her mind at that point. They they knew each other, but only on Facebook. So there was no relationship. That that all came later. For years, Kirat didn't understand, even after the confession in 2018, Kirat didn't understand exactly what was real and what was fake. And actually, it was only after the real Bobby started to dig up his own information when we started talking to him a few months ago that it transpired that back in 2009 there was no relationship between between JJ and Simran and and that had been another part of the story that was false as well sorry I know this is getting slightly into into the weeds (laughs) (laughs) Um, and (laughs) I I think the reason why I, I wanted to start there was because sort of chronologically Kirat's journey starts with 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 being messaged by JJ and so I was really trying to understand was this where it all went wrong in terms of this young woman Simran has maybe got you know this unrequited love with this guy and that's almost the, the the moment that if that relationship had have been successful if she had got this guy that maybe none of the rest of it would have happened I mean to what extent could the whole thing be rooted in this relationship of Simran's having not begun or having ended yeah I mean I suppose the question of motivation and why Simran did it is a huge question and it's one that has been asked throughout the series not only by me but by everyone who who hears about it and certainly it's interesting that the scam should have started with JJ, this this person who she later went went out with. You could say maybe there was something that happened in that relationship, some sort of unrequited love that led her down the path that, that she did. But there are other elements of the story that suggest otherwise. For instance, she we discovered that she had previously to all of this been caught out by some of her friends 
establishing other fake profiles for other reasons and in other contexts. So it could have started with JJ, but it could have started earlier. And it could have... A pattern of behaviour that had been going on. Yeah. Now, I'm I'm going to come back to that web and that sort of fantasy world that, that Simran constructs for herself. I should also, you know, for listeners that that haven't consumed the show yet and are still listening to this show, I mentioned that this all takes place within the Sikh community in Britain, predominantly West London, but also Brighton. It's a close-knit community. Often, you know, the, the characters involved, if they haven't met each other, they know each other through others and they have lots of friends in common, distant relatives, etc. So when Kirat finds out that JJ has died... But yet he hasn't because it wasn't really JJ. How did the fake death of a a member of their very close community not go undiscussed and therefore exposed at the time? Yeah, it's a good question and one one I asked her. And I suppose the answer lies in accepting that a community like Kirat's is quite close, but at the same time can also be quite closed off and quite secretive. So... There were examples, I think, when Kirat did bump into members of JJ's extended family at certain events and asked them about JJ. And they said, oh, we don't know anything about that. And she was willing to accept because of the way that her community interacts, that this was a kind of a response that the family wanted to take. They didn't want to discuss it. And mm-hmm. that, that that kind of response was also something that she had been told by fake Bobby. I mean, I've worked for big corporates in the world of finance. Uh, They are tough taskmasters. You work long hours. And Simran had a high-powered job in banking. How on earth, Alexi, did she have the time to construct and execute this extensive fantasy world? I mean, she set up multiple fake social media accounts. She played fake airport announcements, for goodness sake, in the background to calls with Kirat. She faked having a heart attack during a conversation with Kirat. She took on multiple different personalities, not just Bobby's, to message Kirat. I mean, I I just don't know where she found the time for this. I mean, say what you like about her personality, but this woman is productive. I mean, (laughs) how how do you think she got away with it? I mean, there are some there are some unanswered questions uh, in all this, and and how and the mechanics of how falls into that category. So we know that she must have set up multiple fake social media profiles, many of which were attached with her own telephone number because. Kirat quite kind of forensically charted all that. And we've got a spreadsheet with sort of 60 different profiles that Kirat has managed to identify that were fake, either completely made up or based on real characters, but kind of with their identities appropriated. You have to assume that she put a lot of effort and a lot of time into maintaining this fantasy uh, alongside working, as you said, in a kind of quite high-powered job. And there are some indications that we've got that it did take over large parts of Simran's life in almost the same way as it took over Kirat's. There was Mm -hmm. one person that contacted us quite late on in the investigation after a few episodes had come out saying, I remember going on a Hindu with Simran a few years ago, and she didn't want to come out on a night out with all the other girls because she said she had work calls to make on Skype to America. That could well have been her pretending to be Bobby and talking to Kira. And if that is the case, then it kind of shows that she had 
invested a lot of time into this scam in a sort of parallel way to what Kira was experiencing herself. Why do you think Simran admitted it when she did? I mean, was she just boxed into a corner at that moment and it was safer too? Well, that was the least unsafe option for her or was there another reason? I think you're right. I think she was boxed in. So if you look at the the events that happened around that time, Kirat had gone down to Brighton to meet the real Bobby, whose address she had found by contacting a private investigator. And she hadn't told Simran about what she was going to do. So Simran didn't have a chance to head her off. So Kirat confronted the real Bobby. And then both of them went to the police because both of them were like, what the hell is going on here? Something is happening that we're not sure about. So Kirat took Simran to the police station to talk with them about what had happened. Right. And Simran had to give a statement to the police. And at that point, I think she she thought, oh, my God, this is getting really real. And it was the next day that she confessed. We talked quite a bit about Simran and, and her motivations, but let's now turn to Kirat. I mean, look, everyone is listening to it incredulous. Like, how? How could you not have clocked it? It was a decade. How, 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 how? So, so we'll, we'll go through some of that. And I think that the sort of perhaps potentially plausible, believable bit uh, the earlier years when Kirat and Bobby's online relationship was purely platonic. Bobby was married with a child and it was only after his marriage supposedly broke down that it eventually became romantic between Kirat and Bobby and they entered an exclusive relationship. Alexi, how do you have hours of intimate conversations with somebody without ever having seen their face on a video? It's a good question. And it's not one that Kirat shies away from either. And, and I've thought about it a lot. And, and I kind of put it into three different categories. The first is that this was a slow burn scam. You know, if you suddenly get bombarded with hundreds of messages declaring undying love from someone you've never met, then loads of red flags would go off. and yeah. You'd be instantly suspicious. But if you're talking about someone who you've spoken to sporadically on and off for a number of years, who you've already kind of known about through your wider community, you know that he's a real person, you kind of respect and, and know his his family, and, and he's speaking to you as a friend, you know, a message every three weeks, your defences automatically kind of go down. And then the second thing is to do with Simran's position. So Simran was Kirat's cousin, and they trusted each other implicitly. Like, you might trust your cousin, or I might trust a close family member. And this close family member in real life was telling Kirat that she'd been to New York and she'd seen Bobby in hospital. Wow. And she could deliver presents for him and that he was talking to her. So unless Kirat made the decision in her own mind, I'm not going to trust Simran, then everything else kind of fell into place. And she had no reason not to distrust Simran. So when Bobby was giving his explanations for why he wouldn't want to talk over the over the phone or over video because of these stipulations in his witness protection contract, it might sound ridiculous on the face of it. But if you look at the, the length of time that it took to establish and the fact that she had a person in the real world who was telling her it was true, mm. then it becomes a little bit more uh, believable. And then the third factor, which I don't think that you can kind of discount at all is that in the later years when they were in a romantic or an intimate relationship Bobby controlled Kirat quite oppressively and the nature of their relationship was one that can be fairly described I think as a coercive and controlling relationship and if you're in that relationship as a victim then 
you question things less yeah. than you would if you weren't in such an oppressive relationship. So if you take all those three factors together, then I think it adds a gloss that explains what might otherwise be inexplicable. We've touched on this earlier in the show, but you know, mentioned that all of the characters involved are members of the British Sikh community. And of course, Alexi, you are not. Was it tricky to navigate the ethnic or religious sensitivities of this particular situation compared to other stories that you've worked on? And if so, how did you do that sensitively? Yes, I mean, it was really, really tricky because, you know, you, you just don't want to make any assumptions at all. And you're very conscious as a journalist that you're not a member of this community. And also, even describing it as a community is problematic because it's not a homogeneous kind of no. entity. At the same time, I knew from Kirat that community was a factor, was an important factor in this story in terms of how the confession, the catfishing confession was processed and where Kirat was in her life right now. So we had to deal with it. We mm. couldn't shy away from it. But at the same time, I had to kind of approach it very <laughs> much from a position of ignorance. So we, we, we basically made a decision that we were going to be led by Kirat on that point. And in the last episode, we have this interview with her, her father, which I felt was quite kind of powerful from both a sort of personal perspective but also because I think, and again, it's I'm basing this on what Kirat says, that his reaction is representative of a wider community reaction that she's facing at the moment as well. For listeners that, that haven't heard the show, Kirat's father doesn't defend his daughter outright and totally condemn Simran. He, he sort of comes down the, the side of saying this is just a terrible situation. And I think that's sort of almost full circle back to the, the first question that I asked you about this started with JJ and the death, I suppose the death of him and the the community not wanting to talk about that and that that being a common-ish thing that might happen, that, that people might choose to close ranks a bit on a tricky subject. So to what extent do you think that this catfish exercise could only have happened to people in a in a more closed community or do you think it could genuinely happen to anyone anywhere anytime i think that the community and its response was definitely a significant factor in the experience that kira went through however i don't think it's fair to say that it could only have happened in a community like hers Mm. i think there's plenty of examples around the world of catfishing victims coming from from all sorts of all sorts of communities And, and certainly since we put this podcast out we've been contacted i think by 20 25 victims of catfishing uh, operations. One actress, quite a famous actress with millions of Instagram followers, suffered a very similar kind of experience to Kira, where a, a woman catfished her posing as a as a man. There were kind of fake hospital appointments. It was surprisingly and shockingly similar. So community definitely was a factor in how Kira experienced what she experienced, but it's not a prerequisite of something like this happening. Before we wrap up, let's talk about justice. And and that's a really neat segue from the fact that this is happening to lots of people all over the place. The police haven't had a good year, particularly the Met. Talk us through why they won't investigate this case, either the real Bobby's claim of identity theft or Kirat's case of coercive control and manipulation. 
Sure. So the police response is really interesting. Kirat kind of really struggled after uh, she received the confession from Simran in 2018 to make the police interested in, in what had happened. She, she tried on a number of occasions to convince them to investigate. On a couple of occasions, they ignored her. One of them raised uh, the possibility that she might have mental health difficulties. Eventually, she was brought in for, for an interview, but that only kind of scratched the surface of, of what, what had happened. And then the police basically dropped the investigation. Kirat complained to the police complaints board about that decision. And the police complaints board came back and said that Hounslow police was right to, or it was reasonable for Hounslow police to drop the case. But what you can see from those documents is that they analysed Kirat's case in a very narrow way. They looked at it only, it seems, from the perspective of whether or not there had been a sexual offence committed under the Sexual Offences Act. And what we know, because we took the evidence to a great barrister called Charlotte Proudman, who specialises in gender-based violence, and who had a look through the evidence, was that a whole variety of different offences could have been committed apart from a sexual offence. And most significantly, the way that Bobby interacted with Kirat, Charlotte considered, was so controlling that it breached criminal laws preventing coercive and controlling behaviour. So Charlotte Proudman thinks that on the face of it, there is a good case for investigating and potentially even prosecuting Simran for uh, coercive and controlling behaviour. And the police documents suggest that they didn't even look at that issue as a potential avenue. Now, there is one chink of light because uh, Kirat complained again, like one rank up to the IOPC, who are the, the independent yeah. board, that, mm-hmm. as, as you know, that, that look into police issues. And the IOPC came back while we were making the podcast and said that the complaint board at the first level hadn't properly looked at, at Kirat's evidence. So Kirat is seeing a police officer this week to kind of go over things again. And who knows, that might lead to the reopening of the investigation. It might not, but it might. I should say one more thing is that throughout all of this, Simran hasn't spoken to us beyond two paragraphs that her lawyers have said to us, stating that it it was a family affair uh, that has been resolved. So to properly reflect her position, I think it's fair to say that these claims are, you know, unproven at the moment. And, and we don't know what, what her, her position is. If the police interview her, we don't know what she's going to say. I just wanted to kind of throw that out there of for, for fairness. You. Absolutely. Quite right, too. So in your view, having spent so long and so many hours on this story, brought you to the conclusion that catfishing should be classified as a, a crime in its own right? Or do the police just need to be better informed of coercive control laws that exist? And is there anything happening in the government's online safety bill that might help with cases like Kirat's in the future? I mean, this is just me speaking personally. I think I take a, a different view to Charlotte Proudman and to Kirat, who both think, along with a lot of other people, that catfishing should be made illegal. I think it might be tricky to have legislation that outlaws that in and of itself. Because, you know, where do you draw the line with free speech? You know, if someone says that they're a lawyer on social media, but they're not a lawyer, and then enters into a romantic relationship on that basis, is that really a matter for the 
criminal law. It could be. You could have a, a piece of legislation that outlaws catfishing when it causes, I don't know, serious psychological harm. And that, mm. that might work. But it's not a slam dunk. You need to think about it quite carefully because there are other competing factors. In terms of the online safety bill, it doesn't address catfishing specifically, except for it potentially will require social media companies to remove harmful content in addition to outright illegal content. And if you have a profile that is seeking to trick someone into a relationship for whatever reason, then that could be considered harmful content. It could impose a duty on the social media companies to take that down. So in that sense, I think it could potentially be relevant to to catfishing profiles. But there's a long way to go, I think, before we see the shape of that law. Did I hear you correctly earlier when you said that when Kirat was doing her own research onto everything that, that Simran had done to her, that she found that all these fake profiles on Facebook, that they'd all use Simran's mobile phone number? No, no, they, oh, they, right, they right. all had diff- different mobile phone numbers. That's what's quite interesting in terms of the how question, because it's pretty easy to set up a fake, fake Facebook yes. uh, profile. It's harder to have, as far as I can see, harder to have like 30 or 35 different phone numbers. That's a lot of burner phones. Um, (laughs) And Alexi, finally, I think that most listeners of your show, and hopefully this one, will just want to know, is Kira okay? I think she's getting there. Yeah. I mean, I think that what's happened to her is pretty serious and has taken away 10 years of her life, including a decade where she might have otherwise you know settled down and started having a family which is something that she really wants and that might be hard for her now and I think she's still processing what has happened to her I know she still has nightmares for instance she's not completely okay but she is getting there she's got her radio show back which she loves she's kind of going on a couple of dates she's maybe thinking about moving out of her parents house it that you know you can see that there's a road to recovery which maybe a couple of years ago there, there there wasn't, but it'll it'll take some time. Well, I for one am sending her my admiration and hope for a much better decade ahead than the one that's just passed because she deserves it and then some. And I'm sure that your podcast series will have helped her hugely on that journey. Alexi Mostras, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, you're so welcome. Are we allowed to know what you're working on next? There's a couple of ideas kind of floating around. We're trying to do something at Tortoise, which is slightly different, which is looking at kind of investigative issues and stories, but through a a narrative lens. So we want to hear stories with a beginning and a middle and an end involving a a person and a narrative arc and a character at the centre of them. And we're still looking for our next project. So if anyone has any ideas, then please get in touch. As a reminder, Sweet Bobby can be found on whichever podcast platform you use to listen to this one. Thank you all very much for listening to The Bunker. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider backing us on Patreon. Just search Bunker Patreon Podcast to find out more. Happy New Year, and we'll see you again very soon. The Bunker Daily was presented by Naomi Smith. The producer was Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofronievich. An audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>